The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. The Tahoe Rim Trail is a 171-mile trail around Lake Tahoe. The fastest known time was sent by Killian, 38 hours, 32 minutes. That was supported, and that was set in 2009. The recent unsupported record was 51 hours and 45 minutes. Recent, because just over the weekend... A new fastest known time was set, unsupported, beating the previous unsupported time by over 10 hours. The new unsupported FKT on the Tahoe Rim Trail is 41 hours and nine minutes. That's less than three hours off the supported FKT. Can I bring uh, this to your attention? Killian was using pacers and a support crew. The gentleman I have on this episode of the Adventure Jogger did it all. All by himself, the new fastest known time holder, unsupported for the uh, Tahoe Rim Trail. He runs for Sunto and Ultra, originally from Ohio. He served his country as a member of the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment at Fort Campbell. He currently lives in a van down by the river in Durango. Kyle Curtin is on the adventure jogger. Hello, Kyle. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Um, it's great to see you're actually in the van right now. And I joke you live in a van down by the river. You actually live in a van. I've been on like a, a month-long road trip uh, just trying to visit some mountains and, and do some cool adventures. Um, but yeah, I've been traveling a, a ton for sure. I've seen the, the setup of the van. It is it is rather sweet. You are. It's not like you're in some rented cargo van living in a sleeping bag. No, I'm not roughing it. It's it's pretty nice. <laughs> well, let's let's start before we get to the the Tahoe Rim Trail and what an amazing adventure that is. Let's kind of get people uh, acquainted with Kyle Curtin because I think you're a name that people are going to be hearing more of as we progress. Now I say that as your friend, and I've been saying that for five years, but I really think now it's, it's going to start going to start happening. But let's start right at the beginning, Kyle. How did you get into running and how did you discover the, the world of ultra running? It, um, I don't know. I guess I was just a, a hobby jogger, just like doing it for health reasons. Um, going through, you know, the early adult years, I ran a little bit in high school, but never anything competitively or, or good. Um, and then my uncle suggested the book born to run. I think this is like 2010 or so. And that book is, is so inspiring. And I signed up for the Ozarks 100 after reading it. And um, after about a year of training, ran my first trail race, first 100-miler in the Ozarks. And I thought it'd be a one and done, but I was, uh, I was hooked after that. And that was about eight years ago. Okay, we're glancing over that story, Kyle. And I know that we've talked about this story a bunch of times, but I don't know if the adventure jogger listener is familiar. You say you'd signed up for the Ozark Trail 100, which is a great race, underrated race. I have no idea why that doesn't sell out every single year. It should sell out in minutes. It's a point-to-point. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, You're, by the way, the current course record holder uh, there as well. I think you've run it four or five times, Kyle? 
Just three. Okay, three times. But yeah. <laughs> so so you have to tell everybody your mindset when you were doing your first trail race, your first ultra being a 100, you can't just glance over that. There's a lot to that story. Well, some things never change because there's going to be a lot of echoes of this story coming up on. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, when I first saw this uh, Ozarks 100 mile race, I saw winning times were somewhere around 22, 23 hours, something like that. And I thought, there's no way I'm running like 12, 13 minute miles. <laughs> I'm a road runner, and um, I just I never ran miles that slow. I didn't think there was any way that I wouldn't win by setting a new course record by first time racing. And of course, that didn't happen. I got crushed by the race. I finished like middle of the pack and just hobbled in. Um, but I went back to the race the next two years and uh improved my time by like seven hours the next year and then another four hours the year after that and that's the year i got the course record you're not alone in that and i think there's some people because you are you're having some marathon success at that time i think you'd ran a sub three hour marathon at, at that point and so you know you're thinking ah this is a jog in the woods. When when was when was the moment at that first race at Ozarks when you were like, "Fuck!" I think there was a gap somewhere between like twenty five miles and forty miles in. That was going to be the longest I'd ever ran. I don't think I ran more than like thirty miles in training for this race. <laughs> and I realized, like, oh wow, I'm already hurt, and I got to do like three more marathons, and. And, uh, yeah, it definitely turned into a death march, but didn't you end up running, you finished the race, like wearing a pair of gardening shoes that you brought just in case you would need something to wear after the race was done. Right. Right. The, well, I was, so I was really inspired by that book born to run and was, I ran it in Vibram five finger shoes, <laughs> like the, the minimalist toe sock kind of things. And the aid station worker would not let me leave the aid station because my feet were so messed up. It, I think this is around mile 75 or 80 in that race. And she said, you got to do something else. Like, I can't let you leave. And, and so that's, that was my compromise was to put on these like grass cutting shoes I'd brought along. <laughs> I love, I love you. Look at the pace that you're thinking. I'm going to set a course record. You would run maybe 30 miles on trails. You show up in Vibram five fingers. And, and that kind of became like an inside joke at Ozarks for a while, didn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To to go from what your first one, your first finish was what? 29 hours? Around 29 hours. Yeah. I'd have to look it up to know exactly. So around 29 hours for that first uh, finish. Then the next year you come back and do 19 hours. I want to say that was, maybe just under 22 hours the next year. And then when you set the course record, it was, man, I didn't know you're going to quiz me. I think just <laughs> over, uh, 17, maybe 1720 or 1730, something like that. <laughs> Cutting 12 hours off your time over three years. I think just a change of shoes helped you quite a bit with that situation. For sure. Yeah. You learn lots of lessons. You learn what works and, 
how to uh, approach the races for sure. Now I can tell you that um, after the year after Kyle set the course record at Ozarks, that's the year I ran it. And there's and and Kyle paced me for like 25 miles of the course, and there is nothing, absolutely nothing, like having your pacer be the course record holder. Because when you roll into an aid station, nobody cares about you, and they're all like, "Oh, that's Kyle Curtin. He's got the course record. <laughs> like you're a celebrity on that course." That's what happened to me at Lookout Mountain. I was running with Nathan. Uh, is it Nathan Holland? Yeah. Down there. And yeah, he was buddies with all the aid station workers. And we'd roll in together and he would get, he'd go, oh, Nathan, what do you need? Can I help you with this? And I would, I would roll in and be like, uh, guys, guys, help me. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, you, I did mention that you were in the Army. You were in the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. Look that up. That's, that's really hardcore shit. Jeff Stafford was a pilot for the 160th. You were a support guy who did kind of the, the, the electronics in helicopters, right? Right. So the army, you have to do PT. That's physical training. Did that kind of reignite your like of, or your enjoyment of running or rekindle something? Or did the army have any play at all into your, your ultra racing or running? Uh, not really. Um, the biggest parts were having a physical therapist on staff that <laughs> knew what I was doing on the weekends and could dry needle and help out when I was injured. And then also there's some motivation if you're if you're fit enough and you can score well on the the PT test, then you don't have to go to these uh, morning workouts. So I was able to go run on my own if if I was fit enough to go do that. So it did allow me some uh, some freedom to go train on my own. So what you're saying is you wanted to run ultras so you didn't have to do group runs in the morning. That was part of it in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> And that's where we met. You were stationed at Fort Campbell. and I live right outside of, of Clarksville. And it was kind of funny to see you outgrow this running community, and not in a bad way, about how you were continuing to in, improve and increase, and your skills were getting better, and you were becoming a faster runner, and you were doing more impressive things. When did, when did you make that decision, Kyle? Um, was it before or after I beat you in the beer mile that you needed to to go out west and, and try bigger things? I think I just wanted a new scene. Um, I was ready to, to see out west. I'd lived my whole life out east, and I just wanted to see a different part of the country and see some different trails. Um, so, And I was going to use the GI Bill once I was out of school. So really, I was just looking for mountain towns that had a college that I could go go to school for a few days a week and then go run in the mountains the rest of the days. And uh, I found Durango, and it's been a really good fit for me. I love that honesty. Like, I, I'm using GI Bill. I'm gonna, if I have to go to school a couple of days a week, that's great. And I'll spend some time in the mountains. Yeah, I, I was pretty good about scheduling classes um, while I was in school the last few years, only two or three days a week. So <laughs> I, was, uh, I was pretty lucky to have that chance for years to to be able to do that. I will say, by the way, um, I did beat Kyle in a beer mile. We've tried to rematch, but I'm, I'm kind of holding off on the rematch because I think you may have me now. So I'm going to kind of hold on to that championship as long as I can. My running might have got slightly better since then, but my drinking has gone way down. I, I can't hold it down. I, I don't know that I've ever like completed a beer mile without a punishment lap. <laughs> <laughs> have you tried the White Claw lap, the, the White Claw mile, though? 
No, Jeff is pretty inspiring, though. His seeing his get up for the, the Western statesman makes me want to try it. <laughs> so, so you move out to Durango, Kyle, and you were telling me, like, moving from, you know, middle of America, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, you were living in Clarksville, Tennessee, it's a, it's a border town. You move out to Durango, and you're, what, 8,000 feet above sea level? That was a huge adjustment, wasn't it? Yeah, the town's at like 6,500 or so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it took months before I felt like I could run even a flat trail. Just it took so long to get used to that altitude. And then you then you kind of meet some new people like there's there's some serious mountain racers out there. Did did your did your running improve quicker when you were out in a mountain town with mountain runners and, and able to actually hit some, because here where we're at in Clarksville, you had two places to run trails, Rotary Park, uh, you, had, you had Dunbar Cave Park, and if you wanted to drive an hour, you could go to Land Between the Lakes. But r- there in Durango, you've got hundreds of miles of trails with lots of big elevation in them. Yeah, I'm definitely spoiled out here. And I really lucked out, too, by meeting a couple people who also moved to town at that same time and were looking for friends and partners and that kind of thing. And that's still my core group of friends is this group of people who moved to Durango right around 2015, and we still train together. Um, actually, yeah, I'll get into this story later about I got some some shit for not being uh, not getting the, the training numbers this last month. Because I tapered for Tahoe a little bit. I didn't hit the the numbers my friends did. Well, let's talk about Tahoe. And I, I want to point out first that you have some experience at Tahoe because you are the course record holder of the Tahoe 200. Yeah, um, I ran that race two years ago. And um, that's what first got me interested in the Tahoe Rim Trail FKT. I thought it would be pretty similar to the 200-mile race. But especially the more I dug into it, I think it was only about 60% or so of the same trail. There was a lot of funny stuff the 200-mile race did by like going down into aid stations and then bumping around wilderness sections. So I was kind of shocked how much of the trail this weekend that I didn't remember or like didn't, didn't seem the same as the 200-mile race. And uh, it was a nice surprise. So let's so so you're you're running the Tahoe 200 and is it that it, during the race at some point when you weren't throwing up or hallucinating that you're like I should do an FKT on this thing? No, I think it was afterwards. Um, I finished the Tahoe 200 in, in just over 49 hours, which means I went through a second night, and that second night was just brutal. It was terrible, a lot of death marching and just not moving very fast. And so then when I looked up the Tahoe Rim Trail FKT. It's only 171 miles. So if you take off those last 30 miles, I mean, that's most of the second night. And like, oh, that's way more reasonable. And and I could probably I could probably compete with that time with a similar effort and just not have to go through that second night. How miserable was that 200? Because you haven't even thought of doing a 200 since. No. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's a big commitment. It's like committing to just a lot of suffering and yeah, it takes a lot to work up to that kind of thing. Now, a quick side note to the Tahoe 200. You ran it a year that they were doing actually a documentary. They were following Courtney DeWalter, and there was a lot of a newspaper press around it. And they were writing a story about, you know, she's the woman that beats everybody, including the men. 
you ended up winning that year. And I remember reading the article and they showed a picture of you looking absolutely miserable at the finish. Like you had that look on your face, like what in the fuck did I just do? And then they were all, all the pictures they showed of Courtney were like, she was as, as, as fresh as, as a Daisy. And I remember, you know, of course I'm incredibly loyal to my friends. I'm like, well, they had to have pictures of Kyle looking friendly too. Did they have to put just one picture of Kyle where he looks absolutely miserable in there? That race was, was especially brutal at the end because I think she was catching up to me. I, after I passed her at like mile 181 or so. Yeah. So it was a long way into the race when I finally got the lead. And I was so scared and nervous about her catching back up. But they also had a shorter race. It was like a 50K or something going on. It was finishing right around the time I was coming into the finish line. So they kept being these people with bibs on flying past me. And every time I'd hear footsteps, I got nervous that she was coming past. And it was just a really hard push down this like 2000 foot descent of a ski hill to the finish line. And, and it was just a really tough way to end. And yeah, my body shut down at the finish line. I like couldn't stand up, couldn't even, yeah, couldn't walk and do much. And yeah, that's what all the pictures are. Just me with a, a grimace on my face, just wishing i could do anything but just suffer what an incredible like to see courtney dewalter what an incredible athlete because yeah she hurt at the finish and there's there's pictures and she was in some pain but what what a what an incredible display of athleticism to finish that thing and just do what she does you know race in and race out and the fact that she put so much damn fear in you that every every footstep you heard for 30 miles you're like what what oh it's so much work at that point that like you don't want to give up you know 48 or 49 hours worth of work at the last second so yeah there's a lot of pressure and um, yeah you do that okay so so you get that so so when then does the the fkt idea kind of solidify uh, for going for the tahoe rim fkt solidify was like less than a week ago um it was in on the radar for sure and i've been talking to people all summer about logistics of it and how it goes and um, the more I was talking with people, the more I heard about how many people are going for it this summer. And, um, uh, I, so I wasn't, I was originally just planning on going out to Tahoe to kind of do a scouting trip and, and just check out the trail intersections and see the different parts of the trail and, and decide how I was going to approach it. But, um, just being out here and, um, I was just talking about it enough. I was, I decided this is the time to go for it. Okay. And, Hang on, Kyle, because you said that you you planned this and threw this out for like like a week. Like you had an idea to do this like a week ago, right? Like like one week before you're trying the FKT, put this together. How in the hell do you get Luis Escobar to show up with like a couple of days notice to document your FKT attempt at the, the Tahoe Rim Trail? Not only that, he had just got done hiking from where I started at Echo Lakes up to Donner Pass on the Pacific Crest Trail. So he had done like 50 miles of the route, like just days before we talked to him and, and got him on board. So so how does that, before we get into the actual FKT itself, you're, you're a sponsored athlete. I mentioned you run for ultra and you also run for, for Sunto. So, and Sunto, if you if you followed their elite team on Instagram, they were chronicling your attempt at the FKT. How do you throw something like that together 
in like a couple of days. Dude, big shout out to Tristan who who really put it all together. Um, I was kind of just, you know, talking about him how we want to do it later in the summer, and then as I talked with him about no, this is the right time to do it, and um, there's some other factors too, like the snow melt is starting to go away. So a lot of the creeks are drying up, but right now it's still flowing. So there's more water on the course than there will be for the rest of the summer. And also it's, it was a full moon last night, I think. And so there's a lot of, you know, it's a lot easier to run at night when you have a full moon. And then, uh, ideally I was going to finish on the 4th of July to get the record back to an American. <laughs> so like those two things combined were, uh, we're like, all right, it's, it's got to happen this weekend. It's so weird to think that that young man that I beat in that beer mile all those years ago is getting on his phone and calling Sunto and saying, hey, guys, I got this idea for an FKT attempt. What do you think we chronicle this thing? And then Luis Escobar <laughs> showing up and taking your photos. I mean, did, is there ever a moment, Kyle, when you're kind of like, well, I've come a long way from Ohio. Oh, it's been a crazy little trip, especially this last week or so. It just seems like, you know, pieces are kind of falling together in the right way. And, uh, and yeah, it's been very cool. Did they send you a sweet-ass watch to, to use for the attempt? It's the same one I use every day. It's got, um, I don't know, it's a badass watch. It does everything you could ever want. I'm helping you try to try you. I'm, I'm helping you rep Sunto here, Kyle, as Team Sunto. Yeah. What what watch did you use for your FKT attempt? I wore the Nine Barrow, which has a barometer inside, and it's got. Um, I mean, I didn't charge the watch at all, and I'm an idiot with technology, Ryan. So I didn't fully charge the watch the night before, <laughs> and started with a 92 percent battery life, and it got like 100. At first, I think the course is really long, but it got all but the last 10 miles or so of the <laughs> um, I, I also brought the wrong cable to charge my phone on the run so I just sometimes I don't figure these things out completely <laughs> team team Sunto is going to hear this and go like you couldn't get a guy who f- could figure out how to charge his own watch <laughs> and, and then- so it does all right, it does have a feature where like when you start to run low on battery life, it'll give you an option to go to like a a uh, lower performance but longer battery life mode. And I was in such a low point when it got to that point. It said at like four hours of battery life left, you want to switch to ultra mode. And I was ready to quit. I was I was just done and I said, No, I'm done. I, I don't need to, these extra battery life hours. So I said no, I'll just keep recording in the accurate mode and and uh but we'll get to that in a minute, I'm okay. sure. Okay, I do. I, I know uh, Team Sunto may be listening to this, and I just want to say that Kyle's been into Sunto for a while. I remember uh, you texting me. Uh, uh, Amazon was having a sale on the Ambit 3 run, and you could get the white one. No one wanted the white version of it for $220, when on Amazon the black one was like $350. And it was that day, both you and I bought white Sunto Ambit three runs. I still, can you see it? It's on the dresser behind us. <laughs> I just got, I just got rid of mine like uh, six months ago or so. Yeah, dude, it was cute when we had matching watches. <laughs> when you were talking to Sunto, did you show up with the with the Ambit three run from five years ago? And they were like, "This man needs a new watch." 
<laughs> no, yeah, that was definitely the one I was still wearing. <laughs> That's that's fantastic. I'm just picturing top, you know, running the Tahoe 200 and you have to have that battery pack attached to the watch the entire time because there's no way you're getting 48 hours out of that watch at all. I think I I was still wearing that one for that time and I think I just handed my watch off to my crew for a section while they charged it. Because I didn't want to deal with, yeah, you know, dealing with the watch cable yeah. is too much. You can't, you can't even figure out how to charge your watch, let alone figure out how to run at the same time. <laughs> you know, I got a, a couple things I'm good at, but the rest of it, it just. <laughs> All right, Kyle, let's talk about the big day. You, you, you've made your declarations. You've you've uh, posted the picture online of all the things you're going to be carrying. You were carrying everything with this unsupported. And you weren't just gunning for the unsupported FKT. You were originally gunning for the supported FKT. You wanted the absolute FKT on the Tahoe Rim Trail. Why did you think you could do something Killian needed pacers and support to do just by yourself. Um, one, I talked to some of Killian's pacers and one of those pacers is my buddy, Sean. And while Sean was running with Killian back in 2009, they took some wrong turns and added a few hours to Killian's time. And that kind of gave me the idea that, okay, this isn't quite as fast of a record. And there's some, some space here to, to make up some time on Killian. Um, secondly, this was just, a kind of fly by the seat of your pants, put it all together in the last week. And it was just not in the cards to get together a crew and put everything together. But really, I think it's just way more simple to do it all on your own. If you can carry everything, you don't have to stop at roads. You're never sitting down in an aid station chair. You never have that option to quit at your buddy's car. And so in a lot of ways, it was simpler mentally, at least just to, no, okay, I'm starting this, and this is what I'm going to do for the next day and a half. You didn't think you could hitch a ride with Escobar at any point? You weren't like, eh, you got any room in there for me? <laughs> he was in the last two days coming on. It was There's my buddy Derek, who had a GoPro, who was originally going to follow me around. Um, but, um, yeah, he came on last minute, and no, my backup option was the Uber. If... Uh, <laughs> 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 how do you uber in the middle of nowhere on the tahoe trail i don't know ryan i didn't have to figure it out <laughs> i'm gonna call this flying by the seat of your pants with kyle Curtin. <laughs> um yes yeah, so it was like it, it was really only 36 hours or so before i started where everything kind of like solidified and, and came together that Okay, yep, this is actually happening. This is this is going down. All right. Um, what did you all carry with you? What was all in that pack? I used the same uh, Ultimate Direction PB, like their Fast Packer style older vest that I used at UTMB. And in it, I had, um, as far as gear goes, I had uh, a one liter Catadyne B-free water filter, which is pretty nice. And then another uh, soft flask of a half liter. So I only carried a liter and a half of water for the whole thing. And then um, had some ibuprofen, some Tums. Um, that was about it for that. And then my phone, some headphones, uh, Houdini jacket, two buffs, um, some arm sleeves, sunglasses, 
um, a spot tracker, and then um, about 10,000 calories of food. And that is it, I think. Oh, I had a space blanket. I There was one thing I didn't want to get yelled at for like being a, you know, I didn't want to get in trouble in the time of COVID to have like search and rescue have to come get me or something like that, or have to go to a hospital or anything. So <laughs> it seemed like just to not get yelled at was worthwhile to carry a space blanket. That really goes against your whole flying by the seat of your pants to actually think that far advance in advance. Yeah. It was not for like my warmth or anything. It was definitely just to. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what does 10,000 calories worth of food look like Kyle? I tried to do as much liquid calories as I could, just so every time I drank, I was getting some calories. Um, I had, um, and one thing that I think really helped was I read a, a blog post by Pete. I can't pronounce his last name. I ran across the country. Kosselnick. Kosselnick. All right, there we go. But he talked about adding a little more protein into um, your nutrition when you're running that far. And so I, I've been doing that a little bit this spring and summer, and that seemed to work pretty well. So I was doing like Tailwind Rebuild. They had a little protein in it or some Gorp or Snickers and that kind of stuff. Um, and it also seemed to just mellow out the spikes of, of eating instead of just gummies all day. And then um, I planned it out like a, a little baggie for each section I was going through that had the right amount of calories I was looking for. And that ranged anywhere from just over 2,000 to just under 1,000 calories per section. And I would try to plan it out so that at the nighttime, I would have more chocolate and nuts and coffee flavored things. And then in the daytime, it was more gummies and fruit flavored things and citrusy things. And that seemed to work pretty well. I was, I was pretty happy with the food situation. What was the weight of your pack? Did you weigh it at all? I did. I didn't, um, when I, without any water in it, it was nine and a half pounds at the start. So I started with just the, the half liter bottle. So that adds another i think that's a pound so it was probably 10 and a half pounds right at the start and i ate over 2000 calories in that first segment of that took about 7 hours maybe 6 and a half hours and so i mean once i put that down it was probably closer to 8 pounds and the pack kept getting lighter as the day went on wow okay let's let's let's, let's run through this give us the, the adventure of this fkt from from start to finish Kyle I decided to start at six in the morning at, um, echo summit, which is at the Southern end of the wilderness section. And I chose to start here just because that was the only section on the trail that I hadn't been able to scout at all, whether through the Tahoe 200 or like the week before that I got there to go check out some of the areas. And, um, I just thought, I guess I didn't put enough thought into it. I think I would have started somewhere else if I were to do this again. But it was a really cool section that I really got to appreciate, I think, because my mind was fresh and legs were fresh. And it's arguably the, the most beautiful section through there. There are a ton of lakes, and you get up to what's one of the higher points on, on the trail um, at Dick's Pass. And it was kind of cool starting out. I started at 6, so um, by the time I was going through, it was 7 or 8 in the morning, and all the thru-hikers on the PCT that the Tahoe Rim Trail um, shares – in this section they were all getting up and getting hiking and i originally had a, a permit to hike the pct this summer but i decided not to do it after the world started to end um so it's pretty interesting to talk with these guys and and see when they started and just short conversations you know um but that section went really well as uh like i said just under seven hours 
And that got me to, to Barker Pass, which is what I was familiar with from the Tahoe 200 for the next long ways. Um, but got there in the afternoon, and um, it was really cool interacting, um, this, you know, a busy weekend. And there are a ton of people out on the trails, and uh, especially having Lewis Escobar, like, tell people, like, oh, Kyle's going for the FKT. Right. I'd see people out around, and, and they'd cheer me on. So it was a really cool atmosphere, especially in the beginning, seeing all these people out there. Well, is it a different crowd at the, at the Tahoe Rim Trail that would kind of know – that you know more about ultra running and and long distance stuff where maybe if you were to do something like like more in middle america they'd be like what in the what in the hell are you doing with all that stuff and them tiny shorts on did more people have an idea of what it is you're trying to do I think so I think I had to look down pretty good cuz I got quite a few unsolicited questions of oh are you going for an FKT just I think I had to a look in my eye or something, you know. <laughs> uh, but you're uh, there are a couple people who've reconnected in the last day or two, um, just saying like, "Oh, we saw you out there. Congrats, good job." And, and that's been really cool to see. So the first part goes well. You're, you're doing okay. You're eating your calories. It's all going to plan. You're on pace to to um, break Killian's record. You know, early on, you're just knocking out those miles. Yeah, all the way through. Um, Yet at the beginning, I guess it, it was a lot of just going through knowing where the next water source was to fill up and then um, just keep eating and keep moving. It wasn't um, especially like difficult at that section or anything, you know, um, just it was just keep moving and keep staying on pace. Um, there is uh, one section when I got to the Brockway Summit part which was somewhere around like 10 at night or so. So, you know, like just getting into the first night and uh, the mindset going into the night, I, I would like to really like, you know, attack the night and like don't try to like, just make it through the night, you know, like that's the time to shine and that's the time to go. Um, but at Brockway Summit, as soon as I started, I, I still haven't talked with Lewis about it or not. If he set it up, but there was a five-hour energy and a Snickers like balanced on top of it at the start of the single track, and it's like this is a trap. Somebody <laughs> put this in to like make this not an unsupported record anymore, <laughs> and I didn't take it. But I, man, I really thought about it. That's like that's how you honeypot me, you know? Okay, I want to say, is it possible that Sean uh, Ranny Rainy had it? because that's your, he had the course record unsupported before you took it. I, I've been chatting with uh, a mutual friend of ours a little bit. I, I don't know. I, yeah, this is the first time I've put it out there. I don't think I've told anybody yet. So if you put it out there, I'd like to know. <laughs> yes, let us know, everybody, if you're the person who tried to tempt Kyle with a Snickers and a five-hour energy. I do want to point out that Kyle is is actually in the middle of the woods. He's in a, he's in a park right now in the van, so if the signal kind of uh, you know goes in and out just a little bit, that is why Kyle is not in a studio. He literally is in his van, in the driver's seat of his van, using his cell phone minutes. Are you still on your parents' plan? Are they going to be mad that you're using all their data? Man, you got to call me out like that. It's serious, <laughs> you know? What happens? And you, you pass that snicker, you pass that five-hour energy. You're still feeling good. You're into that night. I'm in it, yeah. And that was uh, that was going up to the uh, Mount Rose and Mount Relay, or Mount Rose Wilderness area, and Mount Relay is the high point on the trail. And so it's a pretty big climb. There's something like 
5,000 feet of gain over that, uh, shoot, I should have the numbers on it. Somewhere, somewhere in the ballpark of 20 miles. There's a lot of climbing. Um, but I was feeling great, and it was such a cool view. At that point, you're um, just north of Lake Tahoe, and like I said, it's a full moon that weekend, so you could see the reflection of the moon out on this huge lake, and it's just it's such a, a cool atmosphere to be a part of and, and be up there. Um, but, uh, yeah, going through there, I, uh, that's where water started to get a little scarce, so there, there were a couple spots where I had to, like, stop and drink a whole bottle and then put it down again and, and drink another one before going on. Um, and that's also where I started to get lazy on filtering water. And, and I don't, I don't think I filtered water the rest of the time. I just was drinking straight from the Creek. So if there's anything in the Tahoe water, we'll find out in a couple of days. <laughs> Do not follow Kyle Curtin and, and the, don't look at this podcast as the how to do an FKT. You must filter your water. You have to filter your water or you're going to end up like Kyle. You don't have much weight to lose, Kyle. I did filter water for the first 80 miles or so, but then I was just getting exhausted and tired of squeezing the filter. And I thought, uh, I'm, I'm just going to go for it today. If, uh, if this gets me, then it'll be a couple days from now and, and uh, I'll worry about it then. So that was on uh, starting from Brockway Summit, and that goes through the Mount Rose Wilderness section and, and Relay Peak, which gets up to like 10,300 feet, which is the high point of the race. And, uh, yeah, just a beautiful section to be able to look down. On one side, you can see Nevada and a lot of the city lights, and then to the other side is just the moonlight reflecting off, off of the lake. Yeah, a beautiful section for sure. Um, but coming up after that was, was really the crux of the race, the way I set it up. Um, so after I got out of the Mount Rose wilderness section, there was a Creek about two miles in and then there wasn't water again for another 36 miles. Yeah. I heard about that section. That was kind of rough, right? It was. Um, yeah. So right around 3am or so is when I drank as much water as I could. And then I filled up, I just had the, the one liter filter and then the half liter soft flask and was trying to run 36 miles on just a liter and a half. Um, and it, it was tough. Um, yeah, that next, that section was definitely the hard part of the trail. And, and, uh, I felt like I pushed pretty hard through there. There was one option, um, for water. You had to take about a, a mile detour off the trail to go to like this mucky Lake, mm -hmm. but I just decided that can't be worth it. I'm just going to make it all the way through and, and try to do it. Um, and I, I made it through, but I think I just dug myself in too big of a hole to really have a shot for the rest of the race. I was on or ahead of pace all the way through, um, I think right around Spooner summit or so, which is, um, uh, like 120 miles in or so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, by the time I got to Kingsbury where, where the water is the next time it was, I was just so hot and, um, I could feel my brain starting to fry. I was, I was not feeling very good. Um, but uh, yeah, I kept pushing for a little while longer. Um, but I think the, the die was cast at that point. Is that when the wheels fell off or did they fall off shortly after? Uh, a little bit after it, it goes up to another place I was familiar with called Armstrong pass. Um, you do that twice during the Tahoe 200. 
But as I started to climb up there, it only gets to like 9,500 or so, yeah. which I thought would not be a big issue. Um, I, I generally go above 10,000 almost every day. Um, but for some reason, uh, not some reason, I'm sure it was dehydration and exhaustion and, and just all the other little factors that, that come into play. Um, but over Armstrong Pass, I, I mentally was done. I just, I've never taken a nap during a race like that before. I, I take that back. That first Ozarks race, I took a nap in the, uh, the night of that. But I mean, that was eight years ago and, and I haven't fallen apart like that since. Um, but I was totally done. I just took my pack off and laid down on the side of the trail. I wasn't planning on completing the route at this point. I was just going to get down to the car and, uh, and call it a day. And at the top of the pass, once I woke up, I like reconfirmed that, yep, I'm done. This is the <laughs> lowest low we ever had. And I'm no longer on pace to break Killian's record. So that's not going to happen. This isn't the day I wanted. So I'm, I'm just going to call it. And I, I texted Lewis and uh, my buddy, Phil, who lives in, in Tahoe. And they both had completely opposite responses. My buddy, Phil said, okay, cool. I'll come pick you up at the next trailhead. <laughs> And Lewis said something along the lines of like, no, you got this. Um, just keep going, keep pushing. And, and, uh, and then I got a couple other text messages from some friends. They're really encouraging. And, and, uh, as I started my death March down and reading those and, um, I was like re-inspired like, okay, yeah. Even if I just have to walk this in, I'm still going to get the unsupported record and, and that's worthwhile. That's still a worthwhile accomplishment. And I did start to feel a little better once I got a little bit lower and passed a couple more creeks and drank a little more water and, and the temperature started to cool down a little bit too, but I, I was totally fried up on Armstrong pass. How many miles did you have to go when it all fell apart? Only a marathon looking back, it was like 26 miles to go and I was ready to quit. Oh, wow. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lake up there called star Lake. And I remember getting to that and seeing these bikers who were doing a, a bike packing tour up there. And I looked pretty done, I guess. And like, Oh, Hey buddy, how are you doing? How many miles have you ran? And I said, I, I think I said 145 and they're like, Oh, and, and that's when I felt like an ostrich. I just stuck my head in the lake and quit listening. To <laughs> 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 tried to cool off as much as possible. <laughs> What is that mental shift? Because you did have a very bold goal of coming in and setting a new, you know, record period, you know, beating Killian supported FKT. But at that point when it was slipping away, it's the middle of the night. It's, it's rough. You're not sure you can, you know, it's over at this point. You're, you're at the death march and the pace has slipped away. You'd have to run splits that you hadn't run in your life. If you were going to get the course record at this point, when did the shift become okay in your mind you're like you know what the 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 unsupported fkt i've got a really good shot of absolutely obliterating that and i'm okay with that i think really just running through that exact thought progression you just had just saying it in my head a couple times it made a little more sense as i look back on this meltdown i had on armstrong pass it just sounds more and more like just a little temper tantrum I had with myself. I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. And, um, as I finally got moving again and kind of took a 
bigger look at, oh, okay, you've put in, you know, 36, 37 hours of work already. This is crazy to stop now. So you should probably keep going. <laughs> right. Uh, Right. It's a good point. And then did you know at, at, at any point, were you aware of the of the unsupported FKT at, at, at that time? Because, you know, you, you didn't even charge your watch the night before. So I can not hate on you if you if you if you didn't know and didn't remember the unsupported uh, FKT. Luce told me the day before what it was. Yeah, I, I didn't remember exactly. I knew it was in the 50s, though. So I. <laughs> Yeah, 145 miles or whatever on your feet. No one's asking you to do complex math at that point. Like, it's like, ah, is it 51? Is it 59? Uh, I don't care. But at some point, you knew that you could do this in the 40s. Yeah. And even after leaving Armstrong Pass, I thought there was a chance that I might be able to get it under 40. Um, A week or so ago, I had ran that last 16-mile segment. Mm -hmm. And... I, I took it super easy. What I thought would be race pace of the, of um, this weekend. And uh, like, I kept my heart rate. I think the average was like one sixteen, just incredibly low. And it took me three and a half hours to do it at that effort. And so I thought getting into uh, Luther pass, which is the last road crossing before where I would finish. I thought that I still had a shot. It was like three hours and 10 minutes or so. Um, when I went through this on the FKT attempt mm-hmm. and so I thought, okay, if I feel good through here and, and really push it, then maybe I have a chance, but absolutely not. That last section was way harder than I remembered when I was running it fresh. <laughs> Once again, flying by the seat of your pants, like, ah, yeah, it'll be fine. The navigation app I was using called gut hook. It's mostly for through hikers. Um, but it has like water sources and gives you elevation gain and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. coming up. Um, but I remember looking at that, I had about an hour and 40 minutes before the 40 hour mark and I'm sorry, an hour and 20 minutes or so. Um, so I needed to do, I, I want to say it was like 12 or 13 minute miles or so somewhere in that ballpark to, to get in under 40 hours. And I looked at the elevation gain with six miles to go. It was like 1900 feet of up and 2,700 feet of down. And it's just like, no way. There's no way it can be this steep right at the end. And it was. And it was like <laughs> boulder fields with like steps carved into it and stuff. And it was just some of the slowest miles of the whole route right at the end. Oh, but you get it. You know, you're, you're 41 hours, nine minutes. You see Luis Escobar waiting there at the finish to take your picture. How did it feel to have this huge accomplishment. Cause I think you look at, I mean, when you take more than 10 hours off of an FKT, that is a monumental thing that you did, but it wasn't what you wanted to do. Originally, you wanted to get Killian's supported FKT as well. How did it feel almost having, were you settling in a way or, or what was it like at the end? Sure. I, a little bit of settling and, Already, like, before I finished, I was kind of looking at, like, what I could have done differently. I think if I were to do it again, I would start and finish in the middle of that big dry spell. Um, The reason I started in the wilderness section is I thought it would be difficult, and I I was unfamiliar with it, so I wanted to do it first. But that uh, long waterless section is definitely the crux of the unsupported route. So, Um, but yeah, go ahead, Kyle. 
I, w- I was definitely already critical of myself and like what I could do differently to do it next time. And, uh, but it was, it was a really cool finish line area. Um, there's a woman, Helen Peltzer who finished, um, just the day before and got a new women's unsupported FKT for the route. And, uh, I can't remember her exact time. We'll have to post it up somewhere, but she was there with her husband who also have connections to the one sixtieth group. And then my buddy Phil and Derek were out there as well. So there's a little bit of a finish party. Um, and, uh, it was really nice to see everybody and, and they're supportive and, and congratulating. And it was a, it was a really good time. What'd you do right when you're done? Did you, did you go take a nap? No, I, uh, drank a beer and ate a pint of, pint of Ben and Jerry's. And, um, I, I still, I was pretty happy at the finish, just happy and relieved and, I don't know. You're so amped up for so long that it's difficult for me to sleep. So I don't think I fell asleep till like three or four that next morning. Oh, wow. It was a long time of just like sitting on the couch, not being able to sleep and, and yeah, just going back and forth in my head. That absolutely is incredible, Kyle. And, and I knew that if anybody could run 38 hours or under 38 hours on the Tahoe rim, uh, you know, unsupported or supported. I knew you could do it if anybody could do it. And I think you learned some things and maybe you go at it again. What, what are you, what are you hoping for in the future now? It seems, I don't even know if I want to ask you because you fly by the seat of your pants and you do everything a week ahead of time, but, but what are you looking forward to doing in the future? Brian, a week was a long time looking ahead. (laughs) For most of this road trip, I had a 12-hour rule of not making plans more than that far out and just doing whatever whatever run or mountain I wanted to do and then uh, hearing advice from other people in the area or people who've ran that route on what else to do and, and kind of just going by that. Um, like, like I said earlier, I had some friends that we were in a, a training challenge this month of June to try to get 100,000 vertical feet, mm-hmm. and I was well ahead of my two other friends who were doing this for most of the month. And I thought for sure I would get it. And then I was at like 95 or 96,000 feet this couple of days before Tahoe. And like, if I'm going to do Tahoe, I got a taper. No way. Can I do another four or 5,000 feet? <laughs> and so I had to eat a bunch of crow on, on not, uh, not getting my hundred thousand mark. <laughs> the other two guys did. <laughs> yeah. Would you remind him like, well, guys, I, you know, I do have the, fkt unsupported on the tahoe rim trail right i don't we'll see if it flies i, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> now, now i know hard rock hasn't happened the last couple of years uh because of snow and because of covid is that still on your radar because i know it was in the past oh yeah i'll put in i indefinitely until i get in but i think my chances of getting in are still below one percent so uh that's uh, i don't hang on uh, attention hard rock lottery people kyle Curtin has the fastest known time unsupported on the tahoe rim trail he also has the course record on the tahoe 200 i think you should let him in just i want to i want to plead your case right there but 2020 is not the year for races this is the no. year to go do cool other stuff and i've made it a, a passion project the last few years i guess the last this will be my fifth year of hiking or running the hard rock course every summer Mm-hmm. So I'm really familiar with it, and I do really enjoy that course. But um, 2021, it's a tough one. 
2021 could be that year, Kyle. One thing I wanted to, to ask you about before we go, uh, you know, talking about your incredible FKT, but something I want to talk about is like training. What have you learned, Kyle? Because you went from, you know, someone who was good regionally to someone who did, you know, something that people didn't think was even possible, you know, that was really grapes, grabbed some attention over this past weekend and, and you continue to get better and stronger. What have you learned since moving to Durango that has helped you become a better runner? I think um, part of it's just the longevity of training. You know, I, I've been running almost every day and definitely consistently throughout the year for the last, you know, 10 years or so, at least, um, like specifically training for ultras. Um, but also I like to think of training, especially for ultras as kind of a spectrum of anywhere from, you know, like you do track workouts where you're running fast miles and on totally flat stuff to, I enjoy backpacking and like peak bagging and stuff that's super slow. And you have miles that take over an hour. And I think just embracing that whole range of, of moving is pretty important. Um, so like this weekend I had a goal of not doing any miles over 20 minutes and not doing any miles under 10 minutes. And I think until the wheels fell off around mile 145, I think I only had three miles over 20 minutes and like two miles under 10 minutes. Um, so it's just like that range, I guess there's like a, a wide range of speeds you move during an ultra and in training, I, I enjoy doing all of it, I guess. So, but more versatile. Cause maybe before you were doing all like one type of training where now you incorporate a lot more things into your training. Right. Yeah. Road running doesn't exactly translate to, to ultra running. And, uh, I think things like backpacking and, and just a general, you know, well-rounded, um, approach to it is a little bit, uh, smarter way to go about it. Kyle, you live in that van. I want to know when you, when you heading back East for some time. I think over Thanksgiving is my next plan to go visit the parents down in Asheville. And, uh, definitely looking at the, uh, the Pitchell route looks pretty cool. And then, uh, that Appalachian crossing of the Smokies are, are the two things that I'm looking at out there. Ooh, yeah, that would be that'd be really cool to see you you try both of those. And make sure that when you drive your van to go visit your folks in Asheville, you you make a stop here in the area. Good old Clarksville. <laughs> I, I was listening to that monkey song just a couple days ago. You gotta take the last train to Clarksville, Kyle. You're a legend here. People wanna catch up with Kyle Curtin. People or just you? <laughs> well mainly it's just me and the kids everyone wants to you know honestly uh, kyle evelyn just wants you to come visit so she can see your dog tommy who she loves dearly so while i was out running um everybody phil was watching tommy and he's playing around and he lost a tooth while i was gone so i gotta get that figured out when i get back to durango tommy lost a tooth yeah he lost a tooth while i was out running Oh, well, I, I won't tell Evelyn because then she'll be demanding that she's be, she be the only one that babysits Tommy when you need somebody and we're pretty far away. Yeah, it's, that's a difficult drop-off. <laughs> we are 100% listener-supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. 
Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. 